the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back. Friday, October 28th, 2022. 602-508-0960 is the number. 602-5080-960. Open line Friday. Anything you want to talk about, welcome to do so. The issue of free speech is everywhere now, again, that Elon Musk has taken over Twitter and has been with us for some time, I think confusedly. It was with us when social media banned a former United States president, but not the Ayatollah of Iran or Louis Farrakhan. It was with us when we debated the issue of incitement. It was with us when we converted riots to peaceful protests. It was with us during covid and what was permissible and impermissible to say about it. And it was with us when one way or another every single decade. It is with us in the debate over cancellation or being canceled. I think we've never quite actually solved it because we have converted it into an issue of relativism. Walter Burns of recent memory was probably one of our greatest scholars on the issue of the First Amendment and free speech. He put the problem's origins this way, quote, moral relativism has become a defining feature of our First Amendment law. Distinctions, whether between the art of the tulip and the art of the unfortunately named part of a human body or between flag burning and sober political speech. These distinctions are not to be made because so it is thought they cannot be made except arbitrarily. Just as beauty is in the eye of the beholder, so, too, truth is relative, a proposition that found its way into our law through the good offices of two of our most famous 20th century Supreme Court justices, Oliver Wendell Holmes and Hugo Black. If, said Holmes in 1925, quote, the beliefs expressed in proletarian dictatorship are destined to be accepted by the dominant forces of the community, the only meaning of free speech is that they should be given their chance and have their way. Close quote. So too Black in 1961, quote, education and contrary argument may provide an adequate defense against communist and fascist speech. But if that remedy is not sufficient, the only meaning of free speech must be that the revolutionary ideas will be allowed to prevail. Close quote. In other words, it is worse to punish the advocacy of Stalinism or Hitlerism than it is to be ruled by Stalin or Hitler. The problem is our founders were not relativists. They believed, though we might lack knowledge concerning the right way to care for our souls, we had firm knowledge concerning the fundamental principles of government. We knew that governments were instituted to secure rights and that they derived their just powers from the consent of the governed. If this were merely an opinion rather than a self-evident truth, if, that is, it were a matter on which men might rightly disagree, 
it would be impossible to protect the right of freedom of conscience in the first place. Again, worth reminding, our own Constitution recognizes this in Article 4, Section 4 of it, guaranteeing to every state a Republican form of government. Not saying people and states and the government can choose their own forms or guaranteeing them a monarchy or anything else, but very explicitly and specifically a Republican form of government. But there's this ongoing, shall we say, queasiness or relativism lurking that says if you can't ban, say, Louis Farrakhan or the Ayatollah or David Duke, you shouldn't be able to ban Jordan Peterson or Alex Berenson or, I don't know, Seth Liebson. By the way, it's interesting. Uh, Peterson and Berenson and I have been banned here and there, censored. Farrakhan and the Ayatollah have not. Let us start by thinking through the contours of free speech first informed by the First Amendment. And in doing that, let's start with the basic understanding that not all speech is the same or all speech is the same deserving of protection. For those who say they are absolutists or letter-rip free speech proponents, no law has ever been like that, at least not in America. As Walter Burns points out, Libelous speech is not protected by the First Amendment, nor are fighting words or perjury or false advertising or verbal agreements to restrain trade or vulgar speech in a student assembly or contemptuous speech in a courtroom or graffiti. Obscenity is not protected and child pornography is not protected. Many will remember the case of and think the touchstone for political speech was in the Skokie, Illinois case, where Nazis wanted a march in a town deliberately targeted as full of Holocaust survivors. And it became the crucible and test in the 1970s and 1980s for political speech. And almost everybody but a handful in our country got it wrong. And we live with that error of thought today. The liberal notion then was that, of course, Nazis have a right to march. George Will, Bill Buckley, Hadley, Arcus, others on our side, handful, said, you do not. Nazis do not have that right. The ACLU and the left were all about protecting any form of expression once upon a time, even expression that would rend asunder our Republican form of government. The left, you see, used to love the idea that ideas should compete and whatever gets more support defines the Democratic landscape, irrespective of what idea results. In other words, what Holmes and Black were saying. If proletarian dictatorship is favored by the masses, there is no restraint or response other than that it should have its way. Well, no, we said. The Constitution guarantees a Republican form of government, after all. In other words, not all speech and claims to free speech are the same. Whenever I start with the First Amendment, I start with a statement made by an FDR appointee to the Supreme Court named Frank Murphy, Justice Murphy, and something he wrote in what is known as the Chaplinsky case. This has long been forgotten by many, not used a whole lot, but not really ever overturned. And many of us trained by Leo Strauss and his students think of Walter Burns and Hadley Arkes or Robert George, perhaps Harry Jaffin, Robert Bork, still refer to it a lot. I believe Justice Samuel Alito still embraces it as well. And it's this. Here's what Murphy wrote. Quote, allowing the broadest scope 
to the issue of speech. It is well understood that the right of free speech is not absolute at all times and under all circumstances. There are certain well-defined and narrowly limited classes of speech, the prevention and punishment of which has never been thought to raise any constitutional problem. These include the lewd and obscene, the profane, the libelous, and the insulting or fighting words. Those which, this is key, by their very utterance inflict injury or tend to incite an immediate breach of the peace. It has been well observed that such utterances are no essential part of any exposition of ideas and are of such slight social value as a step to truth that any benefit that may be derived from them is clearly outweighed by the social interest in order and morality. Resort to epithets or personal abuse is not in any proper sense communication of information or opinion safeguarded by the Constitution, and its punishment as a criminal act would raise no question under that instrument, close quote. Why does he see this? Well, we have to understand the purpose of free speech, and this, I think, has been forgotten by almost everyone on the Supreme Court, with the exception of Samuel Alito. He gets it. That's why he was the lone dissent, saying the Westboro Baptist Church protesters did not have a right to protest outside and near the funerals of fallen veterans, slain veterans and soldiers. So we think about the First Amendment as embodying our civil liberties, right? As Dr. Jaffa reminds, civil liberties are liberties for and of men in civil society. Or as our Constitution puts it squarely in Article 4, Section 4, the United States shall guarantee to every state in the Union a republican form of government. Don't forget that. This is key. Our country is not and our founding is not neutral on what kind of government we may have. This is why Walter Burns is right and Oliver Wendell Holmes is wrong. Remember what Holmes wrote. Eloquence may set fire to reason, he said, but whatever may be thought of the redundant discourse before us, it has no chance of starting a present conflagration, for if in the long run the beliefs expressed in proletarian dictatorship are destined to be accepted by the dominant forces of the community, the only meaning of free speech is that they should be given their chance and have their way. Well, is that what the founders intended? A constitution yielding to proletarian dictatorship? And country where, a country where all men are not equal? Of course not. And that's why I provide you the language from Article 4, Section 4, the Republican Guarantee Clause. Abraham Lincoln put it this way in his message to Congress in 1861, quote, Must a government of necessity be too strong for the liberties of its own people or too weak to maintain its own existence? To ask that is to answer it. So the point of the First Amendment, like the whole of the Constitution, must ask, mustn't it? What is the point of free people and free government? As Jaffa puts it, free government rests upon the consent or opinion of the governed. Law is an expression of opinion, and the opinion upon which the law rests is thus more fundamental than the law itself. The men who founded our system of government were not moral or political relativists. Here's the main point. He writes, free speech is a priceless and indispensable attribute of a free society because it is a necessary means for deliberating upon public policy. But this deliberation does not extend to everything. Above all, it does not extend to the question of whether the community shall exchange its freedom for slavery. Certain ends are fixed 
and their fixity is the condition of mutuability in other respects. The government may deliberate on how to secure the rights to life and to liberty. It may never deliberate on whether they shall be secured. Certain proposals cannot ever be entertained by a civilized community. So this is why I, and really I think only a few, object when someone says, I think Skokie, Illinois, or Virginia, Charlottesville, Virginia, of course the Nazis or the KKK or David Duke has a right to march, or the communists, or Farrakhan. Really? George Will put it this way in summarizing his position on the matter. He said, Liberals love Oliver Wendell Holmes' maxim that the best test of truth is the power of the thought to get itself accepted in the competition of the market. Liberalism is a philosophy that yields the essential task of philosophy, which is distinguishing truth from error, to the market or the marketplace, which measures preferences, popularity, not truth. Liberals say all ideas have an equal right to compete in the market, but the right to compete implies the right to win. So the logic, again, of liberalism is that it is better to be ruled by Nazis than to restrict them. Liberals seem to believe that all speech, any clash between any ideas, necessarily contributes to the political ends the First Amendment was supposed to serve. But they must believe that the amendment was not intended to promote particular political ends, that there is no connection between the rationale for free speech and the particular purpose of Republican government, A wiser theory is to consider the First Amendment as part of a political document. There are political purposes for protecting speech, and some speech is incompatible with those purposes. The purpose of the Constitution is to establish a government faithful to the self-evident truths of the Declaration of Independence. Holmes sought the Constitution was written for people, quote, of fundamentally differing views, close quote. That would be an absurd idea about any constitutional community. And it's especially absurd about this one. The founders thought rational persons could hardly avoid agreeing about self-evident fundamentals. The founders believed in freedom for all speech that does not injure the health of the self-evidently proper kind of polity, a republic. So the distinction between liberty and license, between permissible and impermissible speech, is implicit in the Constitution's very purposes. Hence, Restraint can be based on the substance as well as the time, place, and manner of speech. Walter Burns would argue that it is bizarre to say that the Constitution, a document to promote, a document designed to promote particular political ends, asserts the equality of all ideas. How could it possibly? Why have a Constitution? There is no such thing as an amoral Constitution, neutral regarding all possible political outcomes. Back in the day when Skokie was being debated, it was argued that, well, American Nazis are weak and thus protecting Nazi swastikas and other speech is really of no great harm. Liberals say the pain Nazis caused then is outweighed by the usefulness over the clash of ideas. Now try communists, less weak than Nazis here. And whatever pain their legacy of blood and human imprisonment and invasion is that may worry others, including survivors of communism, that pain is to be outweighed by the usefulness of the clash of ideas, isn't it? What ideas? Were the Nazis or communists becoming stronger? Would the non-censorious favor 
protecting Nazi and communist speech then because the market, the best test of truth, would be affirming Nazi or communist truth? Besides, restricting speech can be dangerous, but it is not more dangerous than national confusion about our fundamental values. Evidence of such confusion is the idea that restrictions on Nazi or communism, taunts and defames, are impermissible because the Constitution's fundamental value is political competition, open equality to those who, if they win, would destroy the Constitution and throw people in gulags or put them in ovens. But there is one more crucial point that needs to be made here. Though the relativism I abhor is everywhere, there is something still about the left that believes in certain fundamental truths, isn't there? They believe that socialism is okay. They endow it in their ranks in the Democratic Party and magazines and newspapers of the left. They extol everywhere the virtues of Marxist thought and Marx himself. But they do have an hold an interestingly contemptuous view of fascism, don't they? Obviously. Otherwise, they would not call us that pejoratively. And this worries me, too. But it's also the work of relativism and propaganda and the abuse of language. They still believe fascism is bad, but they either don't know what it means or they want to change its meaning to stand for people in a party that believes what Barry Goldwater and Ronald Reagan stood for and believed. That is its own problem, but not counsel to put the Ayatollah and Scott Atlas or Louis Farrakhan and Jordan Peterson on the same moral, legal or freedom of speech plane. We shouldn't confuse these things. No, not all speech is equal. And thus, neither is all canceling. As Justice Robert Jackson, my favorite, put it some time ago, the choice is not between order and liberty. It is between liberty with order and anarchy without either. There is danger that if we don't temper our doctrinal logic with a little practical wisdom, we will convert the Constitution and the Bill of Rights into a suicide pact. And no constitution or country dedicated to the self-evident truths of freedom and equality inherent in man was established so as it could be destroyed. I'm Seth Leibson, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Super short segment here because my monologue ran a little long, but I see people are lining up to weigh in on the issue of free speech. This is great. I'm happy that uh, you'll do so, and we will get right to your calls at the um, on the other side of on the other side of this break. Uh, it's much in the air, and as I say, I think much confused, much collapsed into broad categories. It comes to us obviously. Uh, not only with uh, First Amendment issues and the government, but private, uh, private issues having to do private corporations and free speech. We see it with social media. And of course, Elon Musk's first day as the CEO of Twitter is raising it all over again. You're seeing some of it in the concern about cancellation and some of it in the concern about who is being canceled and who isn't the arbitrariness of it all. It seems to me we're overly complicating it, and it seems to me that overcomplication, um, just to put it very succinctly, it seems to me that overcomplication is because we have surrendered the ability to distinguish, to make distinctions, and just all throw it up in our hands and say it's all good or it's all bad. 
It's not the way we were set out here, folks. We didn't start that way. We shouldn't end ourselves that way. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. We were uh, opening the show. It's an open line Friday. Anything on your mind? We opened the show uh, with a little bit of a discourse on free speech, especially given everything in the air around it. And uh, Richard is in Phoenix to uh, talk about it with us. There you are. Hi, Richard. Hello, Seth. Great show as usual. Thank you, sir. Uh, we, we're going to disagree, but I think it's going to be interesting. Okay. Give, give me six sentences. Okay. The first one is this. Um, I, if I understand correctly, that you're, you're saying that there should be no freedom of speech for speech that advocates a social system that abolishes freedom, including speech. Close uh, to that, yeah. I'll, I'll go with that. Yeah. That's good enough. Go on. Yeah. Second, um, I think there's a fundamental conflation here of speech and action. Um, the fundamental law of our nation is limited government and non-aggression, basically among people. You don't don't initiate fraud, don't initiate force, don't use force by government to do things to other people. Um, but talk isn't aggression, and talk isn't big government. So um, when the rulers can choose who can speak and about what, inevitably that becomes a tyranny. Only freedom of speech offers protection to disfavored people and their ideas against a tyrant who survives because he is unopposed. What do you say about, Richard, what do you say about areas of speech that almost nobody would argue it's okay to restrain? Let's say, let's start with, for example, uh, libel, which may not have an injury attached to it that one could demonstrate. No, I understand your arguments about the other types of speech, but I'm talking about where, toward the end of your monologue, you were saying, well, you know, Skokie was decided wrongly, for example. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, well, I'm, I'm going to argue that it was decided correctly, okay. because we're not talking about the libel or the obscenity or the, those other exceptions that we could talk about. Can you libel really an individual, Richard? Is that a matter of limited government? Is well, hold on. Just, just, just answer me this philosophical question. You can libel an individual, right? I mean, there are bans, there are laws against libeling individuals, right? Or at least, it, it, at, at least in every state, there is a tort against it, right? Well, that's correct. Yeah. Okay. What is the difference to you between libeling an individual and libeling a group? Um, probably that an individual can suffer. But doesn't have to prove it. An individual doesn't have to prove that they suffered a harm to sue for libel successfully. It depends on the type of libel, but you're correct. I'm correct on that. Right. You don't have to prove it. You are correct on that. You don't have to prove it. In fact, there are whole areas of law you don't have to prevent it. You you don't have to prove an injury, right? Yes. Including criminal law. Yes, but it's implied that you are injuring them. Right, because of the Chaplinsky test of Frank Murphy. By their very utterance, he says, create and cause the injury. Right? That's no, what false advertising the, is. That's what libel is. No, it's, it's not the utterance. No, no, it's not. It's not the utterance. It is the effect on the audience, and then the audience's effect on the person. Well, not again, the, if you can't prove the injury, it's not the effect. You can't use the word effect if there's no injury. It's presumed. In the common law, it was presumed. Exactly. That's what I'm talking about, too. The presumption. That's why Murphy says by their very utterances have no protection. There are categories of speech by their very utterances that don't have protection. Libel would be one of them. You're right. 
Okay. So you don't have to have the effect, which is to uh, say the injury. It's, it's presumed. It's presumed that you right. Do. It's presumed. That's, it's it's presumed. And the presumption of the Constitution <laughs> is more than presumption. It's explicit. It's Republican it form is. of government. The injury of the opposite is presumed. We don't know what it's like to live in a Nazi or communist country here, but we have an idea based on historical experience. So the limitation has to be upon government power, not upon speech. Uh, well, I think there are obviously two categories. There is government protection under the First Amendment, and then let's just for shorthand say Twitter or social media or a private enterprise, right? But 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 I think because we have collapsed this 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 idea that we can distinguish between good, helpful, supportive, um, and defensible speech. And all speech is the same reason we get into the issue of saying, well, um, you know, we can ban Jordan Peterson just as much as we can ban Louis Farrakhan. And I don't agree with that. Do you? I think we're conflating the issues. It's not about speech. It's about what people do to other people. That's the point here. Okay, except we just spent a little bit of time saying you don't have to prove the effect of the injury and that the understanding at least from Frank Murphy on down to Sam Alito, was that there are categories of speech, indeed political speech, that, using the words of Frank Murphy, by their very utterance do not deserve protection. I think you're trying to prove an injury where we don't have to. There are whole categories of law, including criminal law, that you don't have to prove the injury for it to be criminal. Okay, thank you, Richard. I I appreciate your point. I'm Seth Leibson. We will be right back. As inflation rises, along with that temperature of Elvis Presley's and your dollars are stretched thinner and thinner, more people are considering a reverse mortgage. I want to showcase Bingo Reverse Mortgage and share how their trusted team can take the guesswork out of it and what the benefits are for you. Bottom line, a reverse mortgage allows you to convert equity in your home into cash or to purchase a home. To qualify, you have to be a homeowner at least 55 years old and have sufficient equity in your home. A reverse mortgage can, though, be your ace in the hole when it comes to actually retiring instead of dreaming of retirement. Fact is, most Americans won't be able to retire. Bingo Reverse Mortgage is saving the American retirement. Get the safety net you deserve. Call the incredible Bingo team at 928-277-4476, 928-277-4476, or visit BingoReverseMortgage.com. Tell them I sent you and get a free appraisal reimbursed at closing, a $1,000 value. Again, BingoReverseMortgage.com, another veteran-owned and staffed company. You know, I, a, lot, a lot of you know, if you've heard me this week, I've been railing about the way government puts out the government puts out its reports, particularly the federal government. I was railing on them with regard to its household survey on drug abuse. I was railing on it with the nation's report card on our test results, our educational test results. Um, in months previous, of course, uh, we were railing about how they played games with COVID in the middle of the night, changing definitions from vaccination uh, on what a vaccine is, what it means to be vaccinated. Do you remember when they just took out without telling anyone uh, they just simply they they just simply took out adverse uh, the, the the count the ongoing count of breakthrough deaths uh, that is to say people who died 
though uh, with or from COVID, though fully vaccinated. Some states still do that. The federal government was doing it when the number got so high, it was conflicting with what Joe Biden and Rochelle Walensky were telling you. They just took the number away without telling us. So we couldn't report on it anymore. Well, our friends at Issues and Insights have found another one. They write in a clumsy effort to hide the latest and altogether shocking data on illegal border crossings. The Department of Homeland Security released its latest report in the dead of night last Friday. Not that it mattered, since the mainstream media wouldn't have covered it anyway. But in this case, the numbers are shocking and the reality is even more shocking. DHS's Customs and Border Protection Agency finally, after basically being forced into it, reported that it had encountered, their words, encountered, just passively encountered, right? It's no, no, no action or fault or dint of effort by anyone else. Just, just encountered almost 2.8 million illegal border crossers in the past, past fiscal year, which ended September 30th. Think about that. Nearly 3 million illegal border crossers. That's up from 1.9 million the previous fiscal year. So we went from practically 2 million to practically 3 million, which is more than four times the number in President Trump's last year in office. The Customs and Border Patrol also reports capturing 98 people on terrorist watch lists as at the border this year, up from three during Trump. That 98 is interesting because when I was interviewing Mark Krikorian on this about three weeks ago, the number was in the 70s. It's now obviously approaching 100 and nearly 30,000 with criminal records. Border Patrol agents also had to go on more than 22,000 search and rescue efforts, up from 6,000 in Donald Trump's uh, last year in office. And what you might start to doing, uh, what you might start doing, uh, what you might start to do is noticing a trend. Many, if not most of these encountered, will end up safely in the U.S. after Customs and Border Patrol releases them. Uh, a Daily Signal reporter spent three days at the border recently and came away, quote, surprised by how much of a well-oiled machine illegal immigration has become, close quote. No surprise to me, as I've reported from my trips to the border, there is this odd passivity to the whole thing, this odd routine, this odd banality where no one's chasing anyone. They just calmly walk across, swim across, and they calmly walk to the tents where the patrols are and they do their paperwork and off they go. She reports, though, this reporter reports that migrants cross the border and wait patiently for Border Patrol agents to pick them up. Agents take the migrants to the processing center where some basic information is taken down and they're put on a bus and an airplane to somewhere else in America. One pair of illegals, she said, they hope to go to Chicago while waiting for the van to pick them up. That's new, by the way. They weren't doing that when I went on my last trip. This transporting thing is new. It's interesting that uh, I guess I was mentioning this yesterday. It's interesting that um, that Governors Abbott and DeSantis were taking all the credit or heat, really heat, uh, from the mainstream media for doing what we in Arizona have been doing as well. Just somehow it, uh, it it it's been more quiet. The number that you never hear the number that you never hear about is the one that you should be scared of the most. That's the number of gotaways. These are the illegals who purposely evade Border Patrol agents, most likely because they know that if they were caught, they're criminals, gang members, or would-be terrorists who know they won't get released into the wild. How many gotaways are there? 
the Customs and Border Patrol can only estimate, but they say there are at least 600,000 over the last fiscal year and figure the number tops one million since Joe Biden has taken office. One million getaways since January of 2021. And with Customs and Border Patrol constantly overwhelmed by the number of people walking across the open southern border, the number who evade capture is likely far higher than even the CBP's estimates. Put the two numbers together and the total number of illegals who have bypassed U.S. immigration, avoided the hassle of applying and getting a visa, slipped past any investigation in the past or why they want entrance, and are now safely ensconced in the U.S. is twice the size of most mid-sized cities in the United States. Who will pay for this dereliction of duty? You will. In taxes to provide government benefits to this massive influx of people here illegally. In crime rates as gang members and criminals flood the nation. In premature death as cartels take advantage of the chaos to ship drugs across the border. And more likely than not, in a future terrorist attack thanks to the ease which with which they now can easily slip into the United States. Protecting the nation from foreign threats and guarding its borders is one of the few jobs most would agree, if not everyone would agree, constitutionally obligates the government to protect us from. This is a big theme for me. And it's a big theme for me in our education scores. It's a big theme for me on health problems. It's a big theme generally. When we are focused and energized on the things not within our constitutional purviews or duties or conscriptions and all the other ancillary Christmas tree ideas that come from the progressives, the distractions of government, this is what you get. The failure to do the agreed upon constitutional obligations of what your mission is supposed to be. When you're focused on all this other nonsense, of course you're not going to be focused on the stuff that makes the most sense. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. If you're worried about the stock market and its volatility, but you would like to engage in an investment of some kind or another, check out what my friends at Y-Refi are offering. They're offering an investment with a a strong fixed rate of return, not correlated to the stock market at all. It's an investment all in a secure and collateralized portfolio with an up to 10.25% return for investors. The investment can be a joint investment, it can be an individual, an IRA, it can be in a trust. Y-Refi is a due diligence approved firm. It's made up of really great guys who do really well by doing good for others, and you can be a part of that. Just check them out at investyrefi.com. The word invest, the letter Y, R-E-F-Y.com, investyrefi.com. Or give them a call at 855-316-3087, 855-316-3087. They're a local company. You can visit them. Never a sales pitch. They leave that part to me and Larry Elder, who I heard uh, talking about them the other day as well. Uh, whether you agree with me on free speech or not, whether you agree with me, Frank Murphy, Murphy Robert Jackson, Felix Frankfurter, and Sam Alito on free speech or not, um, I think we can agree that today's Democratic Party has abused and misabused their speech and their labeling of things. 
We talked with David Harsanya the other day about how we are now hearing Democrats say if you vote a Republican in office, you are voting against democracy. Think about that logical loop of reasoning. If you vote for a Republican, you're voting against democracy. Republican capital R equals the end of democracy, small d. Jimmy Carter said exactly that this week. If you vote for Republicans, you're putting democracy at risk. Well, you know who's now joining this fray? I just got a fundraising email from the documentarian Ken Burns. You know the documentarian Ken Burns. He writes, I've spent more than four decades making films that tell America's stories and examining the crises, internal and external, that we have faced as a nation, including threats to our democracy. From the Civil War to the Great Depression, from First and Second World Wars to the COVID-19 pandemic, these crises have challenged us to live up to the essential promise of our nation, preserving a democratic system of government that respects these rights and addresses the needs of all its citizens. On and on and on he goes, as you can imagine. And then he says, that's why I'm reaching out. With a 50-50 split in the Senate, the fate of our democracy, the very fate of our democracy, hinges on voting for these two candidates, one in New Hampshire and one in Wisconsin, who are Democrats, versus their Republican opponents. Their Republican opponents who will, quote, plunge us down the path of extremism. Boy, the abuse of language, the abuse of history, the abuse of reason, the abuse of the two-party system, the abuse of democracy. I sure hope that's what we're voting against, too, on November 8th. George Kaloff and I coming up. We'll talk a little bit about that when we come back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 